any long-term plan for your business where you look at your risks, your opportunities, your enablers, have to recognize the contribution for government, then you need to participate. You absolutely need to participate and you need to plan for that. If you don't plan for it, then one, either your business will not perform to its full potential. A lot of times people are saying government is not helping me, but you know, government doesn't know that you need help. You may not have adequate resources or capacities to completely understand everything that government is doing that affects you. And this is where you need to be part of an association. It's one thing to belong to an association, but it's quite another to really ensure that you participate. If you want to have your hair shaved clean, you have to be present at the barbershop. Your hair cannot be shaved in your absence. Hello and welcome to the Meta Podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you live recordings from Meta events covering a wide range of multidisciplinary topics converging at the intersection of innovation in the African continent. This episode is brought to you by Hill Justice Accelerator, the world's only accelerator that focuses on preventing and resolving justice problems. They help startups scale and grow by providing coaching, mentoring, and grants. The goal of this second episode of the Startup Lobbying series was to discuss the strategies startups can employ for aggregating and speaking in one voice to influence laws. We draw lessons from active associations like the Kenya Private Sector Alliance and the Global Off-Grid Lighting Association. The speakers included Florence Kimata, a business reform specialist at the Ministry of East Africa Community. Patrick Tonui, the East Africa Regional Representative at the Global Off-Grid Lighting Association. Victor Ogalo, the Head of Policy Research Analysis at KEPSA. The conversation was moderated by Eric Karioki, the Head of Hill Justice Accelerator, East Africa. Last week, we talked a lot about why SMEs and startups should engage in the lawmaking process early enough. I want to hear from all of you. Um, why is it, from, from your side, from your lens, why is it important? And the true question, can they really make a difference? Can they really make uh, or influence the lawmaking process at a county or national level? I will invite uh, Florence to kick off this. You have played a huge role in government in addressing this question. Do you think SMEs are able to engage and why is it important? And can they really influence? Business member organizations or associations are a very effective tool of engaging government because what happens is that the government, for example, um, the Kenyan government needs to engage with 50 million Kenyans to be able to create policies that would affect them. But the only organized and coordinated framework to do that is to do it through the business member organizations. And this can be generally across private sector or industry specific. So I think SMEs need to know that there is a channel of engaging government. It might not be easy um, or very effective to engage as an individual, but there is the power of collective, you know, a collective voice uh, in engaging government through an association. And there are associations which they would easily fit in, um, either regional 
or sector-based associations. So if you're in the county, you have an opportunity to identify which private sector association would effectively help you engage with either the county government or with the national government. Uh, but yes, they, they, do, they should really um, engage and their, their ways and their channels of engaging with government. And for us, and this is something I did in the last three years where you found SMEs within the priority sectors that the government was pursuing, without a clear way of engaging, and we then recommended the formation of various industry-specific, um, uh, either apex bodies or associations, which was very effective. Uh, because you find SMEs are very, very um, dynamic. Government might have a position today on what they need to do for a particular sector in terms of, you know, uh, the policies or the regulations, but it can quickly change. So how, do we, how does government then quickly engage private sector? to update the information they have or to analyze the policy gaps or, you know, any legal or regulatory amendments that need to be made for the SME development. So um, I think for me, the, the, it is important for SMEs to, to engage. They should rightfully do it. And there are channels and tools uh, within private sector, the way private sector is organized for them to effectively engage with government. Thank you, Florence. Now, now to you, Patrick. Um, Gogla does do that. So do you feel you are effective and is it important? It's absolutely important. And I think I'll give you from the context of what we as Gogla do. One, what we've done, um, we've succeeded in this in Kenya, and this is something that we're doing across the region, is to see if the governments can formally include in the electrification plants a role for private sector and the technologies that we provide. That's the first thing that really enables us as a sector to exist. So without engaging in government, our whole industry, the legal framework, especially when you've got investors that you try and tell invest in our sector, they need to make sure that their investments are secure and they need that um, uh, and th that legal framework that enables and secures your business. That's number one. But then number two, when you look at um, the cost of doing business or the ease of doing business, if you take any product that you're going to bring into Kenya, whether you're manufacturing here or and you're importing raw materials or whether you're importing finished goods yourself, you've got things like duties that are applicable or VAT. Right now, finished goods in the EAC, the duty rate is 25%. The tax rate, the VAT in Kenya just came down to 14 from 16 so if you add both of those together, it means whatever you bring into the country will have uh, an effective tax on top of it that you have to pass on to your customer of about over 40%. If you're not talking to the government about what mix or you need for your sector to be able to succeed for when you think about your customer to be able to keep your products affordable, then you're not going to succeed. And again, this is something the government directly controls and has a big influence over. Um, and then the final part that I, I, I want to mention is when it comes to things like standards. Um, I think we, what we've seen in our sector is you can bring in any type of products, products that are good, products that are not so good, products that work for a long time, products that just don't work and, and are not good for the consumer. And the government is the one that defines the standards of what products should be in the market. And if you do not engage with the government, one, they can define a standard, and we've seen this in some countries where the government comes up with a standard for which there is no product globally, which means they've, they've designed a standard where nobody can import anything, or 
they can design a standard where anything comes in and then and then this is something we used to see in our sector before the the consumers were really getting bad experience you import a solar product into the country they buy it and it works for two weeks and then it's dead and then everybody starts saying oh solar doesn't work so we had to go back and really encourage governments to look at keeping bad products out but also making sure that good products that are still affordable to the customers are able to be in the market and again that's all in the purview of government and you've got to be able to engage with them if you're going to do that um and then i'll just add one final thing the, the, because of the role of government to be able to intervene or do work in markets you find that um if you if you're not tracking and seeing what government is doing they can one day enable your business and the next day kill your business uh we saw that with a ban on plastics in kenya if you are making plastics before one day you have a business the next day you don't have a business um we've even in the covid you, you know 3 months ago there was absolutely no business for masks in kenya now i'm sure somebody on it's probably a billion shilling industry in kenya that's been created in 3 months so these are things that even you as a private sector need to understand and need to track and need to be able to talk to the government about what you need and what works for you okay fantastic thank you so much Um now moving to Victor Kepsa you are from 2003 you have almost 500,000 direct and indirect members um do you feel you are doing a good job in trying to engage government at a policy and law level Um yeah so this is a report we did in 2018 and 2019 about the topic we are talking about here effectiveness of uh, SMEs in advocacy one of the components we checked eight things around uh, uh, how policies work or do not work uh, and uh, there are fundamental things that we checked one of them which is effectiveness of SME representation and this is about advocacy this was the least ranked in terms of performance it's it's the policy dimension that performed the list we interviewed about 1200 SMEs in Nairobi uh, Machakos county and uh, and Kiambu county it performed the list but they need uh, to be able to lobby more effectively to get the rest of uh, of of the of of their interest in uh, in in advocacy whether it's policy environment and all that but then the policy environment improvement they acknowledged and you can check this with uh, uh, over the last 7 uh, or so years the doing business index has actually improved from position 136 we had uh, in uh, 2014 uh, to i think right now we are in 58 or something yeah all right and that improvement in doing business index was a capsa agenda set out in 2013 and sold to the president and the president liked it and said okay i want to work with kepsa to improve the international image investors perception about this country in terms of uh, doing business so if so kepsa has actually been more consistent on this agenda and with the buy in and backup uh, of the executive at a very high level we have seen actions 
and Florence used to work with that ministry under 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 Aden, and she's she knows what we did and what we we continue doing. So advocacy can work, and the capital has been more effective. All right, um, you find that the issues being transacted are beneficial more to the SMEs, but they're actually not present on the table. It takes time. Advocacy takes time, and for an SME to dedicate uh, its time into uh, a public policy process into advocacy that time is a business time that is lost for them all right so yes they have issues but they're actually not on the table you find that it's the big boys that actually drive the agenda so there is that that then gives a, a different uh, uh, viewpoint that the agenda could actually be big boys agenda but it's actually not the case smes need stronger representation, but they also need to make time out to argue their cases, to argue their issues. But again, that's why institutions like KEPSA exist. And uh, I wouldn't uh, vouch for KEPSA to be present in all the counties. It is technically expensive to do that. So we work with associations who are our members in the different counties to represent us. So we pick uh, based on strength of influence in the different counties, who can then represent the county business associations in the specific counties? Then they feed that. There's a feeding uh, a loop, a uh, feeding loop with Kepsa that then gets uh, uh, the issues uh, magnified if if they need to be brought at the national level. Yeah. So that is, this is one. That, so over my many years in Kepsa, about seven. Um, of doing advocacy, there are things that actually work. Uh, advocacy is basically not just about a shopping basket. You are not just going to government to say that we need A, B, C, D, and you are not demonstrating what you are going to do. The more you identify what you can do, the interventions that you can implement uh, by yourself or as an association, then when you present your case to the government, make them understand that this is going to be a partnership in addressing this particular issue. We will do this. Maybe what we can do, we will do, we, we will provide thought leadership on this issue. We will um, look for partners to support us in this, but for us to succeed, we need support in this area. Let it not appear that everything is supposed to be delivered by government and therefore a failure in that particular issue becomes a failure on the government. Then you are not, advocacy is actually a partnership that you have to build. If majority of your issues are on the red, things that you need government to do, then you will have a less chance of succeeding. If most of your issues are, let's just say 50% of what you want to, 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 to address are in the green, meaning, things that you have direct interventions over, then you already have a 50% chance of succeeding, all right? And then as you sell your success to government, they are more uh, invited into partnering with you to address this. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. This is a very insightful um, diagram on how you can actually influence government. Um, so I want to go back to Florence. Um, I guess the main question that most people have is, does government listen? That's a good question, Eric. Um, I, I would say gov government listens. So, I mean, I always remind private sector that let's always remember the role of government is providing the enabling environment. 
so that you do not see government as the answer to all the resources that you would need or all the solutions that you would need to get your sector going. The reality is private sector actually has far more resources than government would ever have, you know, to be able to support SMEs. Uh, and, and that is the balance we need to create. Um, so yes, government does listen. Um, sometimes um, there will be some laws or regulations or policies that may seem to go against the sector. But when you see, you know, how the sector engaged government before, you know, that uh, policy was put in place, you see very little, you know, or active participation in informing that position, you know. Uh, but then again, you have to understand that government doesn't look at one sector alone. It looks at um, multiple sectors to be able to make a decision. However, government always stands corrected. And this is where now, you know, further engagement then plays a very important role. We have seen government put in a policy and within the next financial year, it is reversed. Uh, and sometimes it's because some of those decisions may not have been fully backed or, you know, the data to make the decisions is not even readily available. So we find that we are actually, you know, making negative process as, as opposed to supporting the sector that we sought to support. So I think active engagement between private sector and government to be able to come up with some of these policies is, is very key. And there have been a lot of successes. I mean, um, Victor mentioned the, 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 the policy, policy gap survey that they conducted in 2018-2019. It was very informative, really in informing what government needs to, to, to do for the next level of SME development policies. Uh, similarly, the Kenya National Chamber of Commerce and Industry conducted an SME competitiveness survey, which was launched last year, looking at what you know, firms need to be able to grow and what their ecosystems need to do to support them. So those are some of the ways that, that you can really, really engage. Not all decisions may be favorable to all, but if there is really a, a pressing issue, I think there is always an opportunity to come back to government and engage government effectively to be able to correct a situation that would then deter the progress of a certain sector or industry. But um, allow me to also mention something that, um, you know, Patrick mentioned about the issue of standards, you know, in standard formulation. Um, and one of the very effective ways of engaging government in standard formulation is to participate in the sector committees within the standards body. Um, every year, every two years, the standards body then um, announces for people to apply to be in various sector-specific committees within the Kenya Bureau of Standards to be able to come up with new standards for new products or to revise standards or adopt standards from other jurisdictions that would apply to, to, to Kenya. And I know last year they did such a call. And I, I kept on telling SMEs, please, you have a role to participate in these committees. Um, that is one of the ways you can be able to effectively, you know, guide government in some of these standards. Uh, and I saw some SMEs, even in the fashion industry, get into committees within the, those com the, 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 the sector standard boards that would help them influence what, what government would be able to uh, then release for their sector. So I think that's also a very effective way of SMEs knowing that they can actually participate in either, you know, determining the standards within their sectors. And this is an open call. These are open committees where people are invited to sit and it's not hard to get into such a committee. Actually, they are constantly looking for people who can come and inform uh, government. So yeah, I just wanted to, to mention that and to be able to learn on how you get onto a standards uh, formulation committee. Great. That's a very fantastic example uh, of how um, sort of MSMEs have come on board to participate in the actual 
uh, policy making with government. And this will ask, uh, act as a segue for the question I want to ask Victor and Patrick. Um, so one of the biggest challenges um, when you're dealing with big association as a startup or as an MSME is feeling that uh, not included. It's that feeling of that association is too big. It serves corporate, uh, corporate Kenyans or big companies. And we know, uh, according to the Kenya Institute for Public Policy Research and Analysis, KIPRA, that there are around 7.4 million MSMEs in Kenya, which are employing around 14.9 million Kenyans. So how do you elevate the voices of your small, uh, uh, micro, small and medium enterprises that would love to join your association, but feel they are too small or they don't have the capital or financial muscle to pa actively participate in either Kepsa or Gogla. Um, any of you can jump in. Um, Eric, if you look at the population of businesses in Kenya, 98% um, are SMEs. Um, a greater lot are startups. There is a missing middle of medium size. Actually, we have a majority of micro and small at the bottom. Then in the middle, you should actually expect the medium scale size, and those are very few in this country. And then at the top, you have the large enterprises, which are actually more than the medium size enterprises. But the entire population of businesses in Kenya is 98% MSMEs. So if you look at our membership, for instance, we have different categories. We have startups, we have the small, the SME size, which are two subcategories of SMEs. Then you now have uh, the medium size and they pay different uh, membership amounts to Kepsa. And then you have all the way up to uh, multinational companies and very large enterprises that pay the premium. Um, yeah, so I want to remove the notion that all these associations are big boys clubs. If you look at Chamber, for instance, a majority of their members are SMEs, right? The challenge comes when you go out to advocate on behalf of these SMEs and they're not on the table. And, and, and so that is why we then want these SMEs to come together, form strong management or secretariats that can then do all this on their, on, on, on their behalf. And this is something we advocate for as KEPSA. We have been at the helm of forming small businesses into associations so that if the owners of this business are so busy, then the technical um, experts that they have within their secretariats can then help drive this process on their behalf. So we support SME formation, uh, formation of um, business associations or across different uh, sectors. I think we even did one recently for the fintechs. Okay. Right, right now, we just formed ASNET, the um, Agricultural Society of uh, Kenya uh, Network to pull together all the small businesses and agriculture sector. So we believe in effective advocacy for SMEs. But the challenge then becomes when your issues are not very well clarified as, a, as an SME. Remember, if you go to the government with all your gloves on, that it almost seems like it's a fight, 
then the government will not listen. They will take a lot of time trying to, 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 to resolve the conflict of confronting them. But if you go as a partner, you offer thought leadership on some of the naughty policy issues because government is not all-knowing. They also look for answers, right? But again, government is also very careful, especially since most of the business advocacy issues touch on resources, government resources do this and they need money to do that. Okay, so this is where SMEs really need to be very, very careful. If you're going to ask for a tax waiver, for instance, if you're going to ask for all these incentives to help you grow, then know that that would be revenue for gone to the government ministry. The, the, the treasury would look at it as a dent onto the exchequer. The KRA would not even listen to that because they also have a target to meet every quarter. How do you convince government to take a certain advocacy measure that will require it to spend money and then they listen and spend that money? So this is where thought leadership is very, very important. By demonstrating to government that if you give us these incentives, it would cost you so much. But in return, this business, this number of businesses will thrive, will employ more people. You have all these other avenues of recouping your investment in us. So spend this tax money on us as incentives or waivers, and we'll be able to survive and employ more. You have more opportunity for payee. You have more opportunity for other venture capitalists looking at a vibrant SME in Kenya and coming to invest. You So... Turn it around. What is in it for them? That is a very, very important uh, aspect of advocacy. So you, you stand a high chance of succeeding if your issue is revenue neutral on government or if your issue is revenue enhancing to government. But if it's revenue reducing, you can actually lobby for that issue for years and years and you'll never get through. Thank you, Victor. Interesting perspective. I would love to see what Patrick has to say about that. I want to pick up on, on what Victor was saying. There's room for everybody at the table. Um, but from my experience, particularly in this and other you know, work I've done, you really need to be able to understand and put yourself in the government side in terms of what are their interests? What are the public sector imperatives that are, or policy drivers that they're dealing with? what are the constraints they're working with and can you find a proposal that is almost a win-win um so that you you and and there are some things you 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 will just you'll put on the table and and nobody will take you seriously and i think that's one of the things that sometimes smes struggle with um i think on my part the other thing that we generally recognize even us as an association and this is something we don't have a ready answer to is because micro and small enterprises are so much time, many times dealing with survival of their businesses, um, affordability or the, the constraint for a lot of them sometimes is just, it becomes, I want to participate, but I don't have the money to participate. Um, either in membership or to come to that meeting, or I can't afford to close my business and all that and i think that is a, a challenge that i don't know the answer to we don't have the answer to we as an association don't have the the, the resources to for example 
um, fly people in or bring people in for free or bring them to a hotel and and pay meals and all that and say come all one come all for free. We and and for many small businesses that becomes the the bottleneck that even if you're inviting them, but just that that cost of participation becomes uh, a barrier. Um, and for that, I think what Victor has just suggested is probably the the only way to deal. With, with it, which is you may not be able to participate directly, but can you look at ways to get your voice and your views represented through uh, through now these micro, smaller organizations or another channel that gets your view there, even if you as a, directly may not be able to participate? Okay. Um, I would definitely suggest for both uh, Google and Kepsa, looking at also... Um, innovative ways to create more inclusive voices in that dialogue. And technology, we know, even during this period, has shown that things that used to require people to physically meet can actually be done remotely. So looking at those alternative ways to bring these people together um, in terms of uh, using technology. Hills Justice Accelerator is the world's only accelerator that focuses on preventing and resolving justice problems. We look for startups that can grow and scale to impact thousands and potentially millions of people. Since 2011, we have supported more than 110 startups across different regions in Africa. We are constantly looking for the next game changer who has an innovative business model, has a track record of preventing or resolving justice issues, they have ambition to scale regionally or globally, and most importantly, they have a strong and committed team. To do this, we run an annual call of applications through the Innovating Justice Challenge. Startups get to apply, and those who are selected join the Accelerator program for a period of four months, in which they receive grant funding, business development support in terms of training, coaching, and mentorship. They also get access to a global network international exposure, and connections for further investment opportunities. Interested? Then apply for the Innovating Justice Challenge at www.hill.org. That is www.hil.org. Often they say government has two sides. One is very good policies that are formed at a ministerial or regulatory uh, as, uh, place. And the other bit is bad politics that sort of seep in during implementation. How do you balance um, the politics of, pol of policy? Because what we have seen is that um, for policies to be pushed, for new laws to be passed that may be SME-friendly, they need to go through either a legislative process or politicians need to be involved. And sometimes what business people uh, complain about is that politicians sometimes do not understand the impact of their decisions. Um, I'll cite an example. Um, a few years ago, at the Nairobi County level, they introduced the Univer Unified Business Permit, which was to 
is the way uh, licensing took place for each cycle um, for small businesses. And then I, I think it was this year that we were back to single permits, which meant uh, you had to get the normal business permit at one location, go to get the fire license, another location. So how do you balance between politics, because politics do, do does play a role, and uh, the policy implementation once good policies are being created? Florence. So I think that brings me, I think, to the role of my current, my current um, department, the Business Reforms and Transformation, um, which is now charged with the responsibility of driving the ease of doing business agenda in the country and how we achieve that by making sure that all the laws and regulations are for the better good of businesses. Now, a lot of the work that we do is um, legal and regulatory reforms, as well as uh, automation or digitization of government services. Um, and this is what you are alluding to. What happens when we have, you know, government comes up with good policies, but, you know, because of the lawmaking process, which requires the other arm of the legislative arm of government to approve these laws, that they might not see the light of day or that they are changed. Um, a good example, if you look at the business laws 2019, these business laws are laws that were driven by the Business Reforms and Transformation Unit in government. And what they do is to make sure that any laws which have been previously enacted that are working against businesses are then reformed. Whether in terms of do they contribute to the cost of doing business, do they make processes more inefficient? For example, one of the laws that we, we managed to, to amend is the, the National Construction Authority Act, which then puts penalties on people who do not comply with, with building standards. And we have seen the issue of collapsing buildings. So how do we then make sure that people take responsibility in terms of, you know, making sure that the building quality standards are up there? So can we amend that law to make sure that we have, first of all, we embed a building code that, you know, defines the, the building standards, but we also then put an enforcement arm to the act so that we do not have laws that are not serving their purpose. So I think this other second layer to, to push uh, reforms that support businesses through the business laws or through the business reforms and transformation is a very important addition to government to be able to correct that. There will always be the political influence in terms of lawmaking, but I think now I, the, 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 there's a lot of consensus to make laws that, that are for the better good. And I think through this um, business reforms and transformation unit, we will see a lot of reforms in laws that have not been previously um, well enacted. And we are not only following the indicators of the ease of doing business, we are also, I mean, we have written to many uh, private sector associations, including KEPSA, asking them, what other reforms do you need? What other business reforms are uh, SMEs, you know, across, you know, micro, small, medium, large enterprises? Do they require, you know, to see in government for us to be able to, you know, to, to progress as a country? And we're taking those on board. So I think the establishment um, and the structure of this unit now as a unit of government to drive reforms across government is a very welcome addition. And that is what will also help us manage, you know, we cannot do away with the political influence, but we will be able to, to manage the process of making, enacting laws that are for the common good. You know, policy making process is actually a political process, highly. And then there's a book you can Google it. Um, I participated in it um, 2010. Uh, that politics 
triumphs economics. Right? Much as policy work is an is, is within the economic space, but the process of developing policies is actually a political process, starting with what is the problem we want to, uh, to, to, to deal with. So identification of policy problems to be addressed uh, at the grassroots level is a political process because you have to bring in people, consult and all that. The process of formulating this policy, and sometimes because of the influence of politics, you end up with not very good policies. You end up with not the ideal, what you even know, this is what this policy should have looked like. But because of the uh, give and take in this process, because there would be some people who lose in the process and some people who gain. So there's always a balance, but that balance uh, is never the ideal. So that's also a political process. Then you have to legitimize this policy uh, by taking it to, you know, ensuring that uh, the, the, the executive pass it and then it goes to parliament, it influences uh, particular legislation to support the implementation of that policy. Implementation also requires resources, which is also a political process of resource, resource allocation. And then at the, at, the, at, the, at the tail end of it, you have to evaluate the social welfare impact of this particular policy. All that is a political process. And because of politics, you may end up in most cases not with the ideal. And that is the hardest thing in development. That we know we don't have the best, but it is what unifies us anyway. So it's a give and take. As we wrap up, I have a question that, you know, for all the panelists, one of the things that we preach uh, in any accelerator is that we want a startup to grow and scale. So impacting not only just 100 uh, people, but thousands to hundreds, hundreds of thousands to almost million. And one aspect of growing is growing geographically. So that means you expand your goods or services to other countries. Now, the biggest challenge is, uh, while certain reforms are happening in your own countries, you are part of this association that works in your country. But as I grow I into, for example, uh, regionally, um, into other East African countries, I have other governments to deal with. Uh, I have other rules, laws, policies to deal with. How do startups that are scaling uh, engage in conversations with business associations or other governments in other countries or trade blocks. We have the East African community that has been there for many years. We have Comesa, we have SADEC. How do startups that are scaling engage with these trade blocks and also uh, governments in other countries? Whoever is uh, ready to start can jump in. Scaling up, the process of scaling up SMEs is is actually a process that requires deliberate action by government. It requires what you call developmental governments to drive, um, because it's very very difficult for SMEs to grow and scale up. Most SMEs are not formed to scale up. Very very few end up making it, but they have the idea. That's why um, venture capitalists would look at an SME and see beyond, see a vision beyond the owner or the starter of this particular business and come in with a partnership proposal that, okay, I want to help you scale up and I'm going to, 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 to pump in this 
kind of support, whether it's in resources, whether it's technology, whatever it is, uh, to help you scale up. Government could also help uh, SMEs to scale up deliberately by ensuring that public procurement uh, actually works for SMEs, right? That's a deliberate process because um, they are unable to get credit from banks because they do not have the history and trust. But government can take up over that risk and say, um, out of uh, 300 or 700 billion Kenya shillings uh, that we are going to use for public procurement, we want to ensure that 70% goes to SMEs. That's a deliberate process of helping SMEs to, to develop financial muscle, build a history, and then be able to then transition into the, into the formal credit uh, acquisition, which is through the commercial banks, right? So government has to be deliberate on supporting SMEs to scale up. Now, associations within the national setup can then now partner with uh, peer associations in other countries where you have an economic block, then SMEs, although may not participate directly into those economic blocks, but through the associations that are at the national level, they can have what you call, can, they can develop what you call a national position on a particular issue. And that national position is influenced or has inputs of SMEs within the national uh, you know, the membership at the national level. So then these associations like KEPSA, for instance, would then now drive the local Kenya SME agenda in an economic block like ESC, like uh, Africa Continental Free Trade Area. So that is actually, because again, participation at that level, if they can't manage to participate and fund their participation at the national level, you do not expect them to be able to fly out and book their hotels. And that's a very, very expensive process as well. But again, lastly, through through the associations that these SMEs belong to, they can also do what you call fundraising to build their capacity technically, but also to 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 find donors that can actually also support their uh, their participation in these economic blocks. Thanks. So I guess maybe let me give you at least some of our experience as Google. As as I started out, I mentioned Google. We are a global association. Um, we try and work a lot with the, and leverage the work that development partners are doing. You find like, for example, the World Bank is working on and electrification or energy access programs like here in Kenya on the last mile. Um, and they're doing that in all these other countries. You find DFID is doing it in countries, USAID or whatever. And what we've also tried to do as an association is um, go back and really give feedback to these development partners when they design their programs, uh, because most of the time those programs would be adopted in multiple countries, that they, whatever, call it the core design of their programs, really recognizes what is an enabling for private sector, wherever it is. Um, and those core principles really should apply where, wherever they are. And then, by recognizing each country is an, is a, is an individual you know, sovereign state, we make sure that we encourage our, our industry members to in every country become part of that, the business in that country, which means 
if I've registered to do business in Kenya, make sure my Kenya office becomes a part of CAPSA, becomes a part of the other association and participates in the process in that country that develops what, an enabling environment for that country. There is no, there's no other way around it. So it is uh, very slow. It's a very slow methodological um, process. You've got to respect that every country will make a decision that is in its own business interest. And then essentially you as a business have got to understand that um, at a national level, you, you give flexibility to your, national, your, your local operations to comply um, with those. I think um, there are some sectors, yes, where, and, and this is something I think sitting in, in Kenya, we, we have to recognize is when you're primarily a import, importing economy, then yes, you'll find that um, you, you know, traders will go to wherever, India, China, or wherever, US, and just import whatever's there and you, you take what's on the global market. So your ability to influence some of what comes in depends also on the sector that it is. Um, but really for, for, for SMEs that are looking to expand from Kenya to Uganda, to Congo, to wherever it is, Mine would be just encourage them to participate in, in, in that local country, understand the mechanics, understand the organizations, and join and participate in those organizations. Because once you register as a legal entity there, then you are uh, you're, you're on an equal playing platform and, and your local entity can participate fully in all the processes to drive what's best for the private sector in that country. Uh, yes, Eric, I just want to add my voice and really support what um, Patrick and Victor um, have spoken about in terms of inclusivity in representation, even before we get to the regional level. Now, um, at the regional level, Eric, we have, for example, in the EAC, there is a committee called SME and Industrialization. This committee actually invites representation from the member states, you know, um, uh, umbrella associations from the member states, states to sit in there and influence the integration of policies within the member states. So I think it's really for the active participation of our own chapters, our own chambers, our own, you know, whether it's a Juakali association or what Kenya National Federation of Juakali, such associations that really, you know, have a national outlook to be present there. And even sector-specific ones, there are sector-specific um, co committees at the secretariat level that also invite, you know, participation of the member states to be able to inform integration of the policies that affect them. And the other way, I, the one other thing I wanted to mention in terms of a strategy of achieving a common view with regard to inclusivity on policy formulation is embracing new ways of, 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 of coming up with those policies. Um, last year, I hosted a policy hackathon um, and, and invited a lot of the private sector associations. Victor was keen there. He led one of my groups and so on. We had representation from development partners, from different agencies in government. We had the SMEs themselves come around and be able to tell us, what are your priority challenges? And what are the priority solutions government can work with? But we were not telling them that government will solve all your problems. We were saying, what can you solve as an SME? What can you solve as, you know, as an association? What can you solve as development partner? And this process is very useful in also informing the agenda of development partners so that they are not far removed from what the country requires. 
because sometimes they, we, we always get questions. I'm always um, uh, working with development partners who are asking, what are the government priorities? Where can I find the government priorities? But government doesn't define its priorities. The priorities comes from the needs and the demands from, you know, from the public and from the private sector. So we have to have a way as government of bringing that collective you know, uh, view and contribution to what are our challenges and how can we be part of making this solution so that people, so that even private sector begins to appreciate that government will not solve all the problems. We need private sector to play their part. There is a part for uh, the government to solve. Development partners have their role. There are different actors in this whole ecosystem that need to work coherently. How do we all pull together to make sure that we, we then effectively participate in, in um, uh, policy formulation, in the legal, you know, the legal and regulatory formulation that also will support our businesses. Yeah, so I just wanted to share that um, strategy of using policy hackathons to bring collective views and to be able to quickly gather what are the current, you know, issues, what are the current trends, what is required, what inform the priorities of the various actors. Once we have that coherently at the national level, this information is then fed into the regional blocks. Um, and now the regional blocks are so important because we're not only talking about EAC and SADAC, we're now talking about the Africa free trade area. So, you know, in terms of, you know, strategic policy formulation, it becomes more critical now when we need to have to move together, uh, and not only as a country, but as the EAC community in negotiating within the bigger Africa market. So I think we, we, we need to see the levels that need to be effective before we get up there and be able to effectively engage and um, be able to participate in the integration of policies that will enable our SMEs then within the bigger Africa market. Fantastic. Um, what would be the one recommendation tell a startup, either thinking of joining a business association to engage government or wanting to you know aggregate with other startups to form an association that they can be part of. What's the one recommendation you tell them in one minute? I think for me, the one thing I would emphasize is the ability for government to help or not help or enable or facilitate your business is significant. And for any, any long-term plan for your business where you look at your risks, your opportunities, your enablers, have to recognize the contribution for government um, and you need to participate. You absolutely need to participate um, and you need to plan for that. If you don't plan for it, then one, either your business will not perform to its full potential um, because you're not taking advantage of the things that government can do in enabling um, your business uh, through policy, through regulations, through support, through finance, through all those things. Um, and you really would be hurting your, even your own potential for growth and success. So I think it's something you absolutely need to prioritize. You need to plan for. Um, and if you don't have the budgets or the financing for it, you need to find the mechanisms to participate that will still deliver through that. So that is through your chambers or commerce or whatever it is. And at that local level, just participate. You really do need to participate. That's what... I would say. Yeah, I, I would equally encourage um, startups to, to be part of associations and to know that there are opportunities for them to learn about what's going on because we also then underestimate our responsibility to educate ourselves. So a lot of times people are saying government is not helping me, but 
you know, government doesn't know that you need help, you probably need to go online, you know, read up on which, you know, government sector you need to engage with. You may not have adequate resources or capacities to completely understand everything that government is doing that affects you. And this is where you need to be part of an association or a business member organization, which then breaks down all these, the government positions with regard to your sector, you know, in a way that you're able to consume it and, and, and make use of it. We also have an association of startup and SME enablers, which is an association of the accelerators, of the you know, workspaces, of the innovation hubs, you know, that can also be able to support startups with regard to engaging with governments on their support issues. Uh, that's also very important. There's an ongoing discussion on a startup bill. Startups, you need to be part of this. So, and how you know about this is to, you know, to keep abreast on what is happening on proposed bills, to keep abreast with what ASEC, the association is doing, because I know they're championing views on the startup bills. And there are a lot of opportunities to engage and to be part of a process that enables your growth. Eric, I just want to re-emphasize. It's one thing to belong to an association, but it's quite another to really ensure that you participate. If you want to have your hair shaved clean, you have to be present at the barbershop. Your hair cannot be shaved in your absence. So you really need to, to make your presence. SMEs actually struggle with how to become effective in advocating. And one thing I want to tell SMEs is they really have to be very, very clear on understanding what their issues are. Uh, understand what your issues are before you actually go to the government. Sometimes it's very embarrassing um, that you went with what seemed to be issues, but they're just not issues. You've maybe not just taken your time to understand that there is a startup policy, for instance. So maybe later on, you team up to go and ask for a startup, startup policy, but this thing is existing. You've just not read about it. Right. So understand your issues before you go to lobby for those issues, because sometimes you could be lobbying, lobbying out of ignorance. Right. And then lastly, advocacy should not be confused with activism. Let advocacy be advocacy and activism be activism. But you are more likely to succeed when you go as advocates and, and you know to advocate for an issue through a partnership language so stop antagonistic um, languages or antagonistic approaches start with what is working when you start a conversation with the negative that we've come here to present these particular issues a b c d you already make the person you're advocating through to just get tired about your presence in that particular room. Say we have recognized this, these are the impact of the actions you've taken in the last two years as a CS here or in the last three years as a president here. And we think you're actually on the right track, but we need to continue working on this. And then identify what is it that you will do for yourself, your direct actions on the issues that you're actually asking government to do for you. Thank you so much uh, to Florence, to Patrick, to Victor. Um, it has been a pleasure and an honor to host this conversation. I've enjoyed it myself immensely. And I would like to also thank Azheel Meta for co-partnering with us to have this conversation. For more of these episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast channel on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform of your choice. 
To stay in touch with us, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WeAreMetaNBO or email us on Nairobi at Meta.co. Until next time, thanks for listening.